Peter's message is live holy and godly lives, meaning be different for Jesus. Point people to God because you're living differently. Now, a week or so ago, I had the opportunity to have lunch with a high school student. And the high school student asked me, what was my experience like going to a public high school? He's in a public high school and just wanted to know, like, what kind of experience did I have trying to be a Christian in a public high school? And while I'm very thankful to God for my high school experience, I felt like God showed up in some really great ways and I felt like he blessed me with some really cool opportunities and and fun things to do. One of the things that as I reflect on my years as a Christian in a public high school was that there was a certain degree of loneliness associated with it. Most of my friends were not Christians. And what that meant was, is even though I was able to have some good experiences in high school and have some friends in high school, and and I look back and I thank God for those things, because I was a Christian, I always felt somewhat different. Meant that there were always going to be things that people at my school were doing that I wasn't going to be able to do. There was going to be some ways that they looked at the world that I simply as a Christian didn't look at the world that way. And Peter's point is, that's okay. Doesn't mean it's not hard to be lonely. But it's okay because as Christians, we need to embrace the fact that we're different. Holy and godly means that because God is our Father, Because Christ is coming back, we have a different future than those around us at our school who are not believers. Now listen, even if you go to a Christian school, if you're going to live for Jesus, you can feel lonely. You can feel lonely like you're the only one that's really trying to do this. And what Peter is saying is he's not trying to minimize that. It is difficult. It is hard. And with this high school student that I was sharing with, I was trying to be as honest as possible to say that loneliness was difficult. That was not fun. But Peter's saying, embrace it. Because on the day that Jesus returns, it will be worth it. Pastor Tom did a great job last week helping us think about the fact that when Jesus comes back, all the stuff of this world is going to be laid bare. All the stuff that's in this world that we value so much is going to simply be gone. And what we've done for Jesus, how we've lived for Jesus, that's what's going to matter. And what I want to say to you if you're in middle school or high school or college is, look, I understand that there is an incredible amount of pressure that this coming week, that perhaps this summer was a respite for you, perhaps this summer was a way in which you were able to kind of catch your breath, you're about to go back into the crucible. You're about to go back into the place where there's going to be an enormous amount of pressure to conform to the world. And the message God has for you before the school year starts Because Jesus is returning, live holy and godly. Be different. Be different for God. Now listen, I know that there are a lot of people that you know who claim to be Christians but are not living differently. Listen, Jesus is not fooled by that. 
The passage that we're looking at this morning in 2 Peter has at the end of the passage this verse as well. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I understand that when you go back to school that there are probably going to be people there who claim to be Christians but are not living differently. They're not living holy, godly lives. Peter's saying, look, you've been warned. Jesus Christ is going to return and on that day that he returns, people who are living for themselves, that's going to be a bad day. People who think that they're going to get away with claiming to be a Christian and yet doing everything that the world is doing. Listen, I know that that's the easier road now. I know it's easier to simply go along with what everybody else is doing. But if you choose not to do that, if you choose to stand out. Now listen, for the elementary school kids, it's great to be the blue pencil. For the middle school age kids, the high school age kids, the college age kids, it's tough to be the blue pencil. It's tough to stand out and be different, but I'm telling you, and it's not me, it's God saying to you, listen, when Christ returns and he grabs hold of those blue pencils and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, you will realize that you have chosen the right path. And as you get ready to start this next school year, I want you to hear the same message that those going to elementary school are hearing from God. Because Christ is returning, what kind of person should you be? What kind of student should you be? You should live a holy and godly life, being different and pointing people to God. Now this truth is not just for those who are going to elementary school or middle school or high school or college. This is the point Peter wants to get across to everybody in this room this morning. And so what I'd like to do, this is our last sermon in a series we've been doing in First and Second Peter. For all year, we've been looking at the writings and the life of the Apostle Peter. And as we come to the very last part of the book of Second Peter, what I want to do this morning is I want to hear this one command that Peter has left us with. And in a way, this wraps up everything Peter has been saying, not so much in a summary sort of way, but it allows us to see this message that Peter has been telling us over and over again all year long. And we want to hear it this morning one more time before we leave the life and writings of the Apostle Peter. So take your Bible, if you will, and now listen carefully. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to get to 2 Peter in just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 15. Therefore, Peter says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Again, Peter's speaking about the second coming of Christ, the return of Jesus to this earth. As obedient children, 
Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Peter's point is, listen, God has called you. If you're a Christian, God has called you out of this world, adopted you into his family, given you a salvation, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you and I, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. As a result, that calling has made us different than the world around us because our Father is different. God is different than the world. He's different than society. He's different than culture. What culture values, God values something else. What the world values, God values something else. Peter's saying is because you have this kind of father and because your father is sending his son Jesus to return to the earth, you and I need to be different. We need to be holy. And just like God is different, we must be different. Now you might remember verse 13 That's the very first command that Peter gave. The very first thing, command he gives us in 1 Peter is to be holy, to set our minds on the fact that Christ is returning and let the fact that he's returning affect how we live. And Peter's point is, it means we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be holy. Look over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter is saying is because you are holy, because you are different, as a result, live a godly life. Live a life that points people to God. That command is the primary command of the second half of the book of 1 Peter. That Peter's saying, be holy and be godly. And all the rest of the stuff he has to say in 1 Peter is built off of that. Now, in 1 Peter, the emphasis is specifically about when we go through difficult times. We've talked all year about when you're suffering, when you're suffering for doing what is right, when you're suffering because of mistakes that you've made, when you're suffering because we live in a fallen world, when you're suffering because people have sinned against you. Peter says everybody goes through difficult things. One of the ways we demonstrate the reality of Jesus to those around us is to live differently in light of suffering. To patiently wait for God. To allow the God of all grace, who after we have suffered a little while, to let him come and rescue us. And the point of 1 Peter is that if you and I will live holy and godly lives in light of the suffering that we're going through, God will use that to draw other people to himself. And on the day that Christ returns, there will be great glory. Glory for those who live that way. Glory for Jesus who rescued us out of suffering. Glory for those who came to acknowledge Jesus as their savior. And the point of 1 Peter is this, because Jesus is returning, live holy and godly lives.
Turn over now to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. You've already heard me read some of these verses as we've spoken to the students. Let's pick it up in verse 10 and read through verse 14. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. The very last subject that Peter is talking about is the same thing he was talking about at the beginning of 1 Peter, which is because Jesus is returning, you and I need to live holy and godly lives. We need to live differently than the world around us. Now in 2 Peter, that's in regards to the world's values. We talked about the issue of sexual ethics and about how a Christian is going to live differently than people around them with regard to sexual ethics. We talked about how we're supposed to be pursuing knowledge and godliness and perseverance and mutual affection and love. Those are the things that are supposed to characterize us. But the message of 1 Peter and the message of 2 Peter is the same. Jesus Christ coming again changes everything. It changes everything. And the fact that this world and the things that we value in this world are going to be destroyed and laid bare. Peter's point is, is whether you're going through suffering or whether you're immersed in the world and its values, you and I as children of God must look different. We must live different. We must be different. We must follow after God and not after this world. And so as we close out this year of being in First and Second Peter, with Peter, we want to let God say again to us the same message. Because Christ is returning, you and I must live holy and godly lives. What does this mean? Well, I think of the friend of mine who told me that a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I can't remember the details, that he was in the middle of a lawsuit. He was being sued for work that he had done for another person. It wasn't a huge amount of money, but it wasn't a small amount, a tiny amount of money either. This lawsuit was causing him great stress because he was being falsely accused. And the person who was suing them had actually lied about some of the evidence. And he's trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do? My reputation is on the line here. He knows that he could fight this and he most likely would win because he actually had evidence that demonstrated the person who was accusing him was lying. But interestingly, as he prayed about it and thought about it, even though the world would have told him, go to court, win, and be done with this, he began to feel that God wanted him to do something else. As he told the story of this person who was suing them, suing him, 
it seemed clear that this person was suing him out of bitterness and frustration, perhaps at other things going on in their life and that they were just simply lashing out at him in this way. And so what he felt led by the Lord to do was to go over to this person's house and he took a check, a check for the amount he was being sued for and said to the person, if I did truly make a mistake or I'm at fault, this is the amount that you're asking for. This will cover it. If I didn't, I want you to consider this a present from Jesus to you. And I want you to know that he loves you. He gave the person the check and that was it. That's what Peter's talking about. That's not what the world would do. But the point is, is that money, which was not insignificant, it wasn't huge, but it wasn't insignificant. That money, the interest it might have accrued, the stuff it might have bought. When Jesus returns, all that's going to be gone. The bank account's going to be gone. The interest is going to be gone. The toys it would have bought would have been gone. But that act of love, that act of love will live forever. And that person who received that love from Jesus, who it is my firm belief, had probably never been loved that way before, that person realized that there is a God and that God has something to do with changing the hearts of people, that's going to live forever. That's Peter's point. Because Christ is returning, it makes us think differently about money and possessions and what we're doing and how we interact with one another and relationships. At the end of the day, if Jesus returned tomorrow, what good would it be to be in that lawsuit and fighting for an extra few thousand dollars or whatever it may have been? What good is that going to do? When Jesus returns, you don't want to be in the courtroom looking at the person across the way, fighting with them over money and not have ever showed them the love of Jesus. Peter's point is, look, because Jesus is returning, we need to live differently. I think of the person in our congregation who six, seven, eight months ago, wherever it was, began to realize that his job was eating up more and more of his time. He was beginning to get uncomfortable with how it was squeezing out his commitment to church, his commitment to God, his commitment to his family. It was always demanding more and more. Texts, phone calls, emails, being away, work, paperwork, whatever it was, it was constantly pushing out other more important things. What he felt compelled by the Lord after much prayer to do was to write a letter to his boss wrote a letter to his boss, and he's a good employee. I think he'd been a top salesman at the company uh, multiple years in the past, and simply spelled out in the letter that uh, there, was a, there was a breaking point, that his, his life was out of balance and that he needed to bring some balance back into his life and was just trying to be honest with the boss to say, look, I just want to let you know, um, I, I can't keep going like this and keep having the pressures of work or the amount of time work continue to increase. He also decided this was an important opportunity to be able to reaffirm and to tell his boss that the reason was is because of his love for Jesus. So it was a courageous thing to do. I basically said that in the letter, and he let me read the letter, and I read it, and I thought, this is a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful example. Him affirming that he wanted to work, but there were limits because there were other things in his life that were more important than work. First and foremost, it was Jesus. Gave the letter to his boss. 
think the boss appreciated the honesty, but also decided this was an opportunity to position this as him quitting his job. The person wasn't actually quitting. They were just trying to say, look, there are going to be some limits here. And even though uh, he had been a top salesperson in the company for a number of years, uh, they used this as an opportunity to uh, have him quit. Well, because it was positioned as a quitting, there was no severance. Uh, there was no uh, unemployment. There was no money from the company for this. But this person chose to entrust themselves to the Lord. And as First Peter says, after he had suffered a little while, after months of having to trust the Lord, God showed up and gave him a job. It was difficult. It was painful. But God gave him a job. Just got it a, a week or two ago. A job in which uh, looks like it's going to be much more amenable to sort of a work-life balance and one in which he's able to let God uh, have a, center, a central place that he deserves to have. The thing I thought was the coolest about that was when I talked to one of his sons who said how proud he was of his dad and how loved he felt that his dad had chosen God and his family over money and work. The point is, if Jesus is not returning, well, go for all the money and all the work titles, all the things, but when Jesus comes back, all the work titles and accolades that we've accumulated, all the salesmen's of the year trophies that we've gotten, none of that stuff is gonna matter. What's going to matter is, is at work, did we do things in an ethical way? Did we do them in an honest way? Did we give a fair day's work to the company? Did we not allow work to become an idol, to squeeze God out of our lives? When Jesus returns and says, I died for you, what did you do with your life at the end of the day to have a bunch of trophies to say, I worked 20 hours a day and I made all this money? Peter's saying, that's not the right way to think about this. When Jesus returns and you say, look, nothing in my life, not work, not money, not prestige, not job, not even the fear of unemployment, none of that stuff kept me from trying to serve you. Peter says, that's going to be a good day. That's going to be a good day when Jesus shows up. I think about the kids in our small group here at church who when we went through the technology series, uh, some of you may have been part of that on Sunday nights, we went through the technology series, our small group decided, hey, this is a great thing to think about with kids. And so the person who was leading our small group asked all of the children in the small group to think through how they could be different than their friends at school or the kids they knew with regard to technology. It was amazing to watch these mostly elementary uh, age children. Think through how technology, video games, social media, all of those things had begun to encroach on their family time and their time with God. And I just sat there and watched as they went around uh, the room and each one had come up with something they wanted to give up, something they wanted to set a limit on to make sure that technology did not overwhelm their lives. I mean, when Jesus returns... He's not going to ask if you've mastered the latest first-person first shooting game. That's not going to be important. 
What he's going to want to know is, is, did you engage with your family? Did you engage with me? Did you do the things that I wanted to do? Listen, there's nothing wrong with technology. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's nothing wrong with video games. But everything in this world wants more of us than God says we're supposed to give it. And in every situation, you've got to think through, if Jesus is returning, how does that affect my use of technology and social media? It must have an impact. It must have an impact. If Jesus is not returning, then the way you and I use technology and social media should look exactly like the rest of the world. But if he is returning, and on that day, everything that the world values is going to be destroyed, Peter's point is that should change how we use technology and media, how we should be different and godly. Holy and godly lives to point people to Jesus. I think about a person whose testimony you're going to get to hear more of next week, who's come to faith in the past three or four years, and whose life Jesus has so, <clears throat> so radically changed that people who don't know Jesus, when they go through difficult times, want to hang out with this guy. They want to spend time with him because they've noticed that the world's grip on his life has begun to loosen. And the things that once mattered don't matter as much anymore. And although this person who's come to faith still goes through suffering and some very difficult pieces of suffering, because Jesus is returning, it's changed his life. And everybody seems to notice and wants to hang out with him, wants what he has. That's Peter's point. He started it in 1 Peter. He's finishing 2 Peter with it. It's the same encouragement. Fix your mind on the return of Jesus and recognize since Jesus is coming back and all this stuff is going to be destroyed, we need to live differently than people around us who don't know Jesus. And so the question we want to leave our series on First and Second Peter with is this. How are you and I going to live differently in light of Jesus' return? How are you and I going to live differently this year in light of Jesus' return? God's contention is the return of Jesus changes everything. And the question is, as we approach a new school year, a new work year, a new relationships in the neighborhood, a year of new relationships, how is the fact that Jesus is returning going to affect that? Is this going to be the year for those who are students here, to, for you to stop swearing at school and to stop to start talking about things that are honoring and glorifying to God? Is this going to be the year because Jesus is returning that you begin to befriend those at the school who don't seem to have any other friends, that you stop engaging in the bullying or you start looking out for those who are being bullied? Is this going to be the year in which you tell your friend about Jesus? I'm telling you, when Jesus returns, what's going to matter is, is not if you won a popularity contest, but if you actually shared with other people the fact that Jesus loves them and wants to rescue them. The question that Peter has for us is how does the fact that Jesus is returning affect your choice of colleges or the major that you're choosing or what you're going to do next summer on your vacation? Jesus' return changes everything. And the question we have to ask is what are we going to do differently this year because Jesus is returning? How are we going to be different than people around us because Jesus is returning? 
For those who aren't thinking about it in terms of school, how does the fact that Jesus is returning affect how we live and behave sexually? Peter has been blatantly clear that because we're children of God, we have a different sexual ethic than the world around us. He says very clearly at the end of this passage, be forewarned. Those who claim to be Christians but do not live like Christians, when Jesus returns, that will be a bad day. How does the fact that Jesus is returning affect the difficult situation we're in right now? I don't know where your difficult situation is. I know where mine are. How does the fact that Jesus is returning change how I'm approaching that situation? How does it affect what I do with money? How does it affect how I look at my job? How does it affect how bold we are in encouraging other people to do the right thing for Jesus? It's easier to just kind of sweep everything under the carpet to not make any waves, to not have any. But if Jesus is returning and on that day that Jesus returns, he's going to want to know, did you share with people the things I wanted you to share with them, even when they were difficult to say or difficult to hear? Peter's point is, Jesus' return changes everything. And so the question we want to leave this series with is, how are you and I going to live differently tomorrow and the next day and the next because Jesus is coming back? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Lord, I acknowledge that it'd be great if living differently was easy, if it involved no suffering or no difficulty. Lord, I think of what that friend shared when he went over to give that person the check to end the lawsuit. Is that he said it was hard. It wasn't easy. It didn't all go smoothly. Lord, we think about the loneliness that students are probably going to feel this next year if they do indeed embrace being different for you. God, I pray that this morning they would hear you telling them that you're proud of them. That on the day that Jesus returns, they will be commended. I pray for those who came this morning in the midst of a difficult situation who had been perhaps thinking about handling it one way who in light of Jesus' return, really, you know, Lord, should handle it in a different way. Would you bring conviction and, and help them to see that? <clears throat> Lord, for those who are in the midst of suffering, may you affirm for them that you are the God of all grace, who have called them to the, your eternal glory. May they set their minds on that and know that you will restore them. God, help us not to be hard-hearted or stiff-necked. Let us hear what you're saying to us and help us to live holy and godly lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.